What is up? This is Perry Noble, and you're about to listen to a message from this year's NLC conference at New Spring Church. Before, but before you do, don't forget, next year, go ahead and save the date. Registration has not began, but September 6th of next year, that would be 2012, we're going to have NLC here at New Spring Church again with Stephen Furtick, Judd Wilhite, Andy Stanley, James McDonald, Matt Chandler, Judah Smith, and myself. It's going to be an amazing day. I hope you can join us. But for now, I hope you really enjoy this talk from NLC this past year. How are we doing, everybody? Everybody good? Man, we are, we are so excited that you came to the booming metropolis of Anderson, South Carolina. I know this has been on your bucket list for years, um, probably since you saw the movie Radio. Don't know if you know about that, but that's our claim to fame, that and the jockey lot. And if you don't know what that is probably better. But anyway, we are so glad that you showed up in Anderson, South Carolina. Um, you're going to get to hear some from great leaders today. Um, and, and, and listen, this is, this is my leadership conference, and so I go first, because I ain't following any of these guys, all right? It's like, good gosh, they're amazing. So I'm going to sit on the front row and take notes. Um, but they said, hey, um, you should probably speak today, Perry. So that's probably the reason I'm speaking. So anyway, if you brought a Bible with you, go to John chapter 2. Um, or if you um, have version, uh, that's kind of funny. We've got Mr. version here today. But um, if you've got version or whatever on your uh, Crackberry or your iPhone or whatever, you can go ahead. John chapter 2 is where we're going to go. And I'm just going to kind of survey the crowd. Um, I don't really know who we've got here today. So I'm going to do a little bit of surveying and find out what kind of people we have. Because here's the one thing I know. We're all different in many, many different ways. For example, is there anybody here today that you would say that you're the type of person that you enjoy yard work? Anybody enjoy yard work, getting out in the yard, planting, weeding? Um, see, raise, no, raise your hand again. Raise your hand. See, all y'all are weird. Um, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy yard work. I don't enjoy yard work at all. Yard, I mean, hell for me would be yard work with a cat. That, that is as close to hell. And listen, I always get an email about, oh, my cat's like, your cat sucks, all right? Nobody likes your cat. Your cat, if it were larger than you, would eat you, so don't even send me an email about your cat. But I don't, I don't like yard work, but there are many of you that really do enjoy yard work, and it just proves we're different. How many, how many hunters do we have here? Hunters, you love hunting. See, I don't understand you either, because, listen, I know, it, I know you like to hunt. You call it a sport. It's not a sport. Um, you pour deer pee on you, you put on camouflage, you climb a tree and you take down a deer from 300 yards away with a high-powered rifle. You want to turn it into a sport? Strip down naked and chase the deer down with a butter knife. That's a sport. That's a sport. But it's, it just proves we're different. How many of you love to go camping? Camping? See, yeah, you're weird. I don't, I don't understand that. Listen, I worked really hard all year. I'm not going to get my family together and say, I worked hard this year. We're going to go pretend we're homeless for a week. So let's go. And, and we go. We just take my idea of roughing it is going from a five-star hotel to a four-star hotel. Okay, all right? That's rough right there. I'm not a kid. But once again, that's what you love. It's what you enjoy. All of us are different. We have different personal preferences. And the thing I know about church leaders is that we're all different as well. And you know what? It's great. There's some people here, um, you've got a a steeple and you've got pews. Listen to me. That's awesome. That, That is, that is awesome. There's some people here, you have chairs. Some people here, you sit on the floor and you light candles. That's weird, but, but we're glad. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Okay. It's, it's weird. There's some people here, you wear a robe on Sunday. Glad you're here, Obi-Wan. Um, there are people here, 
There's some people here that you wear, you wear um, normal clothes. Others of you, mostly probably worship leaders, wear skinny jeans um, and deep V-necks. Judah will be here in a little while. We had people last year when Judah, when the lights came up, we had a staff member went, who's the homeless guy? Um, literally, no, I'm not even making that up. <laughs> Cannot wait to see what he's wearing. But you know what? We, we dress differently. There's some people here, we preach differently. Some people here, um, you, you, you do sermon series, and, and that's awesome. You do three, four, five, six weeks. Other people, you preach line by line, verse by verse through the Bible for, you know, years. Um, you, you, know, you know what? Nothing's wrong with that. We're, we're just, we're different. Some people love a certain style of music. Some people love, a, and, and it's different. And listen, it would, it would be different if we could point to one particular style and say, that style is the right style. That style always works. But I can show you churches that do a certain type of music and they're growing. And I can show you another type of church that do, does another type of music and they're growing. I can show you a church that does a series style of messages and they're growing. I can show you churches that, that preach line by line, verse by verse through the Bible for 14 years in the same book and they're growing. I don't think it's really a formula. I think that we've got in the church, one of the things I'm loving about the landscape of the church is that we really are, I think, doing a much better job at celebrating the differences that exist among the churches. But um, for all the differences that exist, I think there are about five things that, that we really all need. And it doesn't, size doesn't matter and style doesn't matter and the way the pastor dresses doesn't matter. I think there's about five things that, that we see in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, where Jesus turned the water into wine. It's one of my favorite miracles. Um, where, where Jesus turned the water into wine. And I think there's about five things in this particular miracle that we see that if we want to have a church on fire, um, that, that we're really going to need in our churches. These are things that I pray for for our church, and these are things that I've prayed for, honestly, this morning um, for your church as well. So we're going to try to go through these rather quickly because if I hit my time limit, so will the rest of the speakers, but if I go over, they'll go over too. All right, number one, the first thing that I think we need in our churches is an awareness of his presence. I think we need an awareness of the presence of Jesus, an awareness of of his presence. I'm going to pick this up on John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we're just going to start in verse 1. The Bible says, On the third day, <laughs> Jesus does some good stuff on the third day. On the third day, um, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, I want to stop real quick and just, I, I just want to get this out, and then we're going to talk about it for a second. Jesus went to parties. Okay, this was not a wedding like we go to weddings today, where, where it's, it's like anything, like, like you sit there, and they get up there, and they talk, and then somebody always sings the Lord's Prayer, and it drives me up the wall, because when Jesus, Jesus never meant for that to be sung. Our Father... Who art in heaven? And Jesus is going, this is awful. Anyway, so I, it's my opinion, and I'm right. Anyway, Jesus went to parties. Weddings, weddings 2000, these were celebrations. People lost their minds. It was two, three, sometimes even four days. And Jesus goes to a party. And I know that's weird because a lot of us did not grow up with party Jesus. In fact, if you, the, the, the best way I can describe the Jesus that I grew up with, honestly, is fart-faced Jesus. Now, let me unpack fart-faced Jesus for you. It's like when you're on a plane and somebody cracks one off and you don't know who did it, but everybody around you is going. 
That's the Jesus we grew up with. And sometimes that's a lot of people in our church. They, they show up like somebody cracked one off right before they walk in. And everybody walks around. And then we wonder why nobody wants to come to our church. And I look at, in the scriptures and I never see Jesus show up and the place got more boring. I never see Jesus show up and the place got more predictable. I never see Jesus show up and nothing happened. When Jesus showed up, man, unbelievable things happened. And I think one of the things that we've got to focus on as leaders is focus on the presence of Jesus. Because sometimes, and man, I am so guilty of this. Sometimes we lose sight of the presence of Jesus. But listen, when the presence of Jesus is in our church, the potential for miracles are always there. When the presence of Jesus shows up, the potential for the supernatural to happen in our churches is always there. But you know what I'll do sometimes? I'll freak out over the video not being right. I'll be like, the video's not right, the video's not right, the video's not right. Oh, such and such wasn't able to show up and sing today? Oh my gosh, he couldn't sing, she couldn't sing. Oh my gosh, I lost this. Oh my gosh, this didn't happen. Oh my gosh, the lighting went out. Oh my gosh, and I'll get focused on so many things and I'll get so focused on the video not being right, I completely forget about, you know what? Screw the video, Jesus is here. And if Jesus is here, I mean, like, Jesus is like, video's never stopped me before. I can work through the video, (laughs) I think one of the things, and this is one of the things I'm trying to get better on, is focusing on the presence of Jesus. You know what focusing on the presence of Jesus will do for us leaders? Not only does it cause us to fear less, it causes causes us to be fearless. There are leaders here today absolutely petrified over someone in your church that's a critic, and you know why you're petrified over them? Because they're bigger than God to you. Because, listen, I'm speaking from experience. We lose sight of the presence of Jesus. It is, I shared this illustration in my church, and I didn't get in a lot of trouble, so I'll share it here. I, um, I'm petrified of spiders. Petrified. I hate spiders. Spiders, Satan was allowed to create two things. Spiders and cats were his two things he created. And... <laughs> And he made, he made spiders, I'm absolutely convinced. And so Lucretia and I, Lucretia's my wife, and we were traveling out of the country, and, um, and I got up one night to go to the restroom. And, um, and so I'm going to the, I know this is graphic, stay with me. I'm going to the restroom, and I look to my left, and there is a spider on the wall. We're in Costa Rica, and it's a big spider. Um, and I'm sitting, or I'm actually standing there, um, going to the restroom, I'm a dude. And, and so I'm standing there. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I, I probably need to kill th- this, this spider. Now, it's, listen, I'm six foot six. I weigh about 225. Um, and this spider is probably about this big. This spider, I don't know what, I think probably somebody planted it there or something. Like that. It, right in the middle of me going to the restroom, this spider leaps off the wall towards me. Now, have you ever been so scared that you couldn't scream? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been like, and I was there, I ran backwards trying to scream, and I peed all over the place. I'm just going to be as honest as I know how to be. I made a mess. 
So then I'm cleaning it up, you know, I'm kind of doing all this. I'm kind of taking care of everything. I come back in the next morning. I told Lucretia about it. And that afternoon, I, I'm, that afternoon, I'm sitting around. I'm like, you know what? I've done that as a leader sometimes. I've taken my eyes off of what I'm doing. I've placed them on something insignificant, and I've made a mess. Why in the world would you fear something so small when God is so big? It's simply because we lose sight of the presence of Jesus. What would our churches look like this Sunday if we said, you know what, God? All we want is your presence. Everything else, video, lights, everything else is icing on the cake. We just want you. We don't want to do church without you. The reason a lot of people in our churches are doing life without Jesus may be because we're doing church without him. Number two, a desperation for his voice. A desperation for his voice. We want to see how many geeks we've got here. We'll ask you a question, and if you know it, you just answer it out loud. Most of you are leaders. You answered. I mean, this is a leadership conference. I showed up this morning. I was blown away. I got here at seven thirty. The lobby was full. These are leaders. If this was an artist conference, we'd have started at nine. They'd have showed up at eleven thirty, <laughs> and wrote a poem about how they were late. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I need to know how many geeks I have. I'm, I'm going to say something. If you know what it is, you just give it back to me. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, select, start. Contra! How many of you play Contra? Yes! And that's the code for what? 30 men. Some of you are like, what? There was a thing called Nintendo. You can Google it. It was old school. I know some of you don't even know what it is. That's the code. There was, a, there was a game called Contra that came out on Nintendo, and you had three men to try to beat the game. Well, what, made it more, what, it, what made the game actually winnable for many of us, because now there's somebody here that's going, I could get it with one. We're happy you're here. Um, but <laughs> probably work in the IT department. Anyway, uh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, and you had to do it just right. Remember that? It got you 30 men. It was a code. And every time you sat down, every time I sat down to play that game, you just put in the code for Contra and you got 30 men. One of the things that I'm seeing in church world is that we are more desperate for a code to fix our church than we actually are the voice of God. And, and, and I love this next section. Look, look at this. Look at this. Um, this, is, this is how you know the Bible's real because Jesus' mother completely ignores him. Look at this. This is so awesome. When the wine was gone, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother totally blows him off. This is how you know the Bible's true, okay? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. He's like, oh, come on, mom. He's like, I will take you outside. Anyway, um... I know that's conjecture. Um, The Bible says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. What if church leaders just did that? I said it last year at Catalyst. I'll say it again. What if we spent less time on Facebook and more time on our face before a holy God begging him for his vision for our church? Because here's what I believe. I believe God has a vision for your church. And, oh God, this this seems so contradictory to what we're doing. I don't think the vision is going to be achieved by attending every conference that you can go to. 
I don't believe the vision can be achieved by going to another church and trying to be somebody else. That's imitation, not revelation. I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's going to be found by Twitter. 140 characters or less. Here's, your vision, here's the vision for your church. I believe church leaders, I, what would happen if we really did spend some time on our faces before God asking him for his vision for our church? God, what do you want? Jesus, how do you want to do this thing? Jesus, what, what is it that you see in our church? What, what is it that you want? Because here's what's crazy. I still believe God speaks. The Bible, the Bible is living and active. Living and active. And I believe the voice of God is as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. I believe the Holy Spirit really does exist. I really do believe he fills believers. I really do believe he indwells the mind of church leaders. I really do believe he speaks as much today as he ever has. And I really do believe that leadership is as easy as listening to God and doing what he says. I believe that with all my heart because, listen, I've had people push back on me going, I just don't know if God speaks anymore. And I tell them, if God doesn't speak, I'm screwed. Because I've done this whole thing thinking I've heard from God. So either I need to spend less time in prayer and more time with a psychiatrist or I just need to try to hear his voice. Listen, let me tell you something. The best thing you can do for your church is get on your face and beg God to say, what is it that you want for this church what if we just became desperate for his voice desperate for his voice number three a realization of what he has given us i'm gonna spend more time on points three and four um i turned 40 this year yeah i i'm not really celebrating it because i'm i'm starting to fall apart a little bit um in fact, Judd will be up here in a little while. He turned 40 this year, too. We, we, we're kind of, we used to be the young guys, Judd. Now, we're kind of like the old guys. Anyway, um, we turned 40, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to become my dad. You remember when you used to go to the restaurant with your dad, and he was holding the menu like this, and he couldn't see? You remember that? And just holding it like way out here, like, I don't even know what they've got. I, don't okay. I do that now. I was so pissed the other night at a restaurant. I was doing that with, and, and Lucretia was sitting here. I was like, what, what's this? crap? I'm my dad. So anyway, um, so the other day I lost my cell phone in my house. You ever lost your cell phone and you try to go call yourself? And, you, and, and so, and here's what's crazy. You can lose your Bible and that's fine. In fact, we've got a room full of Bibles. If you don't have a Bible here at the, you're a leader. What the heck are you doing without a Bible? But if you don't have one, we've got, we've probably got a closet. But somebody loses their cell phone, they lose their mind. Because I don't, I don't even know anybody's phone number anymore. It's all on my cell phone. So I lost my cell phone at home. Well, one of the cool things about my house right now is I have a four-year-old little girl and if you've got a little kid, what's cool about your house is anything goes wrong, you just blame it on the kid. Um, you, you, hopefully, you've learned that. I don't know, baby. It's, I mean, she, she did it, you know. And so, so I couldn't find the cell phone, and I knew she had probably gotten my cell phone. And we've got a rule in the house. You don't touch the remote control or the cell phone. And so, so I couldn't find my cell So I am tearing up my house. And couch, flip it over. It's a true story. It's a true story. And finally, my little girl, her name's Karis. I walk in, I said, Karis. Karis, have you seen Daddy's cell phone? She went, no, 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 sir. I said, Karis, do you have my cell phone? She said, no, sir. I said, Karis, lying is a sin. 
do you have daddy's cell phone? She said, no, sir. I said, do you know where it is? She said, yes, sir. I said, where is it, baby? She said, in your hand. Don't you get smart with me. I do that to my kids now. Don't you talk to me. You understand? Answer me! Anyway, so it's... What I was looking for, I had in my hand. It was unbelievable. What I was looking for, I had in my hand. I started thinking about that when I was reading this passage right here because we know the story, water into wine. But John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now here's what I love about this particular miracle because we all know what's about to go down. But the vessel, don't miss this, don't miss this because it applies to our churches. The vessel for the miracle was in the house. The vessel for the miracle was already in the house. You know why we got to talk about that, church leaders? Because too many times we focus on what we don't have. We thought, well, 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 we have people show, well, if I had a building, if I had a building, we'd reach more people. Well, if I had some staff, if I had some staff, we'd reach more people. (laughs) If I had a worship leader, we'd reach more people. And we focus on what's external. When I'm telling you what God wants to do in your church, what God wants to do in your church, the vessel for the miracle is already in the house. And why in the world would God bless us with something else when we're not being faithful with what he's already blessed us with? The vessel for the miracle in your church, the vessel for what God's getting ready to do, the vessel for going to the next level is not something that's out there. It's something, I'm telling you, I believe this with all my heart. It's already in the house. See, in America, we focus on what we don't have. Had somebody hit me up on Twitter, t- Twitter the other day. Twitter, anyway, it's changed everything, hadn't it? Had a staff member come to me several years ago going, Hey, man, you seen my Twitter? <laughs> no freak, I have not seen your... Anyway, so, then it cha- hadn't it changed language? Had a guy hit me up the other day talking about... Your conference is priced too high. We have under-resourced church leaders in America. See, I've been to Kenya. I've seen under-resourced church leaders. I've met pastors that don't even have a Bible. Like, we, we just did a mission trip, and we gave pastors... Bibles. Most of us have 20. We'll have people email us going, can I get a discount for your conference? And I'm sitting there going, bro, you're asking me that sitting in Starbucks drinking a latte on your Mac while you're Twittering from your iPhone and you want a discount. We focus on what we don't have when God has said, I've 
planted the potential for the miracle in your house. These were just average, ordinary water jars. There weren't even any decorations on them. They were average, ordinary, everyday water jars, but they became a vessel for a miracle. I think the best thing we can do as church leaders is, God, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? And as we're faithful with that, what does Scripture say? He'll give us more. A realization of what we have. When Moses went before Pharaoh, Moses was like, I can't go before Pharaoh. I can't go before Pharaoh. I can't go before Pharaoh. What did God ask him? Hey, Moses, what is that in your hand? Let's, Let's just use what you've got in your hand. And eventually what Moses had in his hand was the instrument that God used to put an interstate highway through the Red Sea. The potential for the miracle is already in your house. Number four, a desire to work hard. How many pastors, we're leaders here today, we, we, we couldn't admit this in other circles. How many pastors here today honestly would say, there is very seldom a Sunday that you do not have a very weird conversation? Anybody? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. Come on, my hand. I don't have normal conversations. Do you have normal conversations? I can't even have a normal conversation at Walmart. I walk in, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Hi, how are you doing? I've been smoking crack. I don't know what to do right now. So, I, li- literally, literally, I, I don't have normal conversations. So I was, and you know why you don't have normal conversations on Sundays, especially after your services? Now, I'm going to say this. All the leaders are going to be like, that's right. All the people with mercy are going to go, oh. The reason you don't have normal conversations on Sunday is because after you get done preaching, the normal people go home. That's right. <laughs> Am I right? Normal people go home. Everybody makes it like the people that make a beeline for you every week, they say the same thing. So I'm standing in the lobby one day, this is true, and a woman comes up to me and she said, I saw you in the gym the other day. You really do sweat a lot. <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Pastor P? Oh, yes. How do you sweat? I work really hard. And she went, I think I'll do that. And she walked away. And I looked at the guy that's standing with me and I went, did, did, that, did that just happen? He went, yep. And it hit me, the thought of working hard doesn't occur to many people. And then I looked at this passage and I read this. Look at this. Jesus said to the servants in verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. But here's what fascinates me about this passage. In verse 7, he told the servants, go fill the jars up, boys. He didn't say, 
Y'all get around these jars and let's just pray. And let's just pray and pray. Confess. Just confess over these jars that they're not water. They're wine. It's not working. Got a good idea. Let's have a Bible study about these jars. And let's figure out were they predestined to be empty? (laughs) Or are they empty because of the bad choices that somebody made? You know, stuff that everybody freaking cares about. Well, they should. That's, that's why your church has 20, okay? Listen. I ain't backing off of that. I ain't backing off of that. I ain't backing off of that. Church has been answering questions for too long that people aren't asking. They're not asking. Tell me about the tulip. They're saying my marriage is falling apart. Can Jesus do anything about that? I'm broke. Can Jesus do anything about that? I'm depressed. I'm strung out on drugs. Can Jesus do anything about that? Well, you see, the Greek word, they don't care. Anyway, back, y'all got me off my message. All right, now listen. He told the servants, go fill the jars. Now, see, we have an American mindset. I read that for years, and I was like, take the jar to the spigot. That's what we say in the South, spigot. Cut the spigot on, fills up the jar. We did it, Jesus. But do you know that filling up the jars was easy because they didn't have indoor plumbing? Most likely, the servants had to walk out of the house. They had to go to the well. They had to draw water from the well. They had to bring it back in. They had to pour it in the jar. They held 20 to 30 gallons a piece. Now, imagine if they had a bucket that held a gallon of water. How many trips is that? That's like 180 trips to get 180 gallons. So the servants are working the whole time. The servants, listen, it's not about the prayer time and it's not about the Bible study time and those things are important. Please don't hear me dismissing them. But the servants were willing to work for the miracle. It blows my mind, especially in the American culture today, that we've got people that want to do great things for God. They're just not willing to work. Let me ask you a question. In the Bible, Great men of God that accomplished great tasks. What were they willing to do? Work. Noah, I want you to build an ark. Can I just pray, God, and you just kind of bring it out of the ground? No, you're going to have to swing a hammer, bro. I'm like like 600 years old. I, I know. You're going to have to work, bro. I gave you two boys. Put, I gave you three boys. Put them to work, too. One's got self-esteem problems anyway. His name's Ham. I mean, good gosh. <laughs> Joshua. We're going to take that city right there, Jericho. All right, that's yeah, good. I got a catapult here. I got a, and all I want you to do is walk around the city. Walk around the city. Just walk around the city. And on the seventh day, before the biggest breakthrough, you're going to have to walk around seven times. In other words, right before the biggest breakthrough, that's when you're going to have to work the hardest. Nehemiah, I want you to build a wall. Well, you just want me to... I, God, I'm, I'm just the vision caster. Actually, no. Put the, lay some brick, boy. 
That's what pe- people come here and they, they'll look at this building and they'll go, well, if I had a building like that, and I always ask them this question, do you think we freaking prayed this thing out of the ground? I mean, seriously, dear God, give us a building. <laughs> I know church leaders that are willing to pray but not willing to perspire. That's a sad day. And listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying, don't leave here thinking, well, I've got to start working 65 hours a week. Listen, some of you are working 65 hours a week, but you're not working because 30 of that is Facebook and Facebook didn't work. Facebook, anyway, don't get me started on, on a lot of that stuff. You've got, leaders make, Hard work is someone that makes tough calls and, and has tough conversations. Like, I, I'm at, like, like is, there, is, there, is, is there someone in your church that they've done a good job up to a certain point, but right now you just know it's going to take somebody to take it to that next level? Can you have that conversation? That's hard work, isn't it? I was talking to a pastor one time that had a Sunday school class, and uh, he, it, had like, it had 20 couples in it, 20 young couples. He put this one guy in charge of the class. Literally in three weeks, it went from 20 couples to four. He said, I don't know what the problem is. I said, I think I figured it out. That dude can't teach. He's like, he's got a good heart. I'm like, he can't teach. Have you got somebody on your worship team that can't sing? Nervous, nervous laughter right there, right? <laughs> don't look around. And I know, I know what some people say. Well, Perry, their heart's good. Might be. Their voice sucks. And I don't, have to, I don't have to sit there and listen to their heart. I have to listen to their voice. And they'll get up and go, God laid this on my heart. And, and you know what people in your church are thinking? You laid this on their heart? You know what? That's not an easy conversation, is it? Thank you for serving us very well. And listen, you do it with grace. You do it with mercy. You do it with love. You don't ever run over people. You always find something else for them to do. You honor them in the process. But leaders make tough calls. Leaders have hard conversations. There's a lot of guys that aren't willing to do that. Let me tell you, it takes hard work to be a leader. Number five, a desire for people to see him clearly. A desire for people to see Jesus clearly. And by the way, let me just let me say this because it's popular in church culture and I hate this. In order for people to see Jesus clearly, you've actually got to mention the name of Jesus. Because there's some people like, we just want to give people a cup of cold water and hopefully they'll see. Uh-uh, the Bible says by the preaching of the word in Romans chapter 10 says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We've got to talk about Jesus. Not God, Jesus. Because when you talk about God, like if somebody's new age, they think you're talking about them. Jesus. Now, I had to write this down. How much wine did Jesus make? 180 gallons of wine. So I broke that down. I actually found this in a book. and It's 682 liter bottles of wine. 908 bottles of wine. All my Baptist guys, I know what y'all are thinking. It's grape juice. Uh-uh. It's wine. 
Now, if I show up at your house with 908 bottles of wine, am I making a statement? Some of you are like, yep, you're not Baptist. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, am, I, am I making a statement if I show up at your house with 908 bottles of wine? Jesus made 908 bottles of wine. But the purpose of him making the wine wasn't so that people had more wine. The purpose of him making the wine is so that people would see him clearly. Look at this, verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Jesus performed the miracle so that people would see him clearly, not so that people would have more wine. One of the things we've got to do is make sure that when people come in our churches every Sunday, they just see Jesus clearly. They just see Jesus clearly. Um, this really, really resonated with me recently. Um, I lost my dad uh, about a month ago. He passed away. He had Alzheimer's, and, uh, and it, was, it was brutal. If you've ever had a family member or a friend go through Alzheimer's, I told my wife, Lucretia, I'm like, if they ever diagnose me with Alzheimer's, tie a brick to every one of my limbs and take me out in our boat and push me overboard and I'll thank you on the other side. I did. Because it's, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. And, um, and so, I mean, he would, he would tell me weird stories like I went to see him one time and he told me a squirrel killed my great-grandfather and I'm like, a squirrel? Like, crap, I come from a line of wusses. Anyway, so I, it's, it's kind of... And so... So before he completely lost his mind, he sat down and told me, he said, I don't want a funeral. He was a little bit more expletive about that, but he's like, I don't want a funeral. I was like, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get me cremated, take my ashes, and put them on your mom's grave, because I lost my mom when I was 12. So I I was at a youth camp, and and they called me and let me know my dad had passed away. And I don't know if you've ever gotten that call, but I got it right before I got on the plane, and it was, it just felt, I mean... I lost my mom, and my mom and my dad's gone now. So, so if, you've, if you've experienced that, you kind of feel like an orphan. You remember that? You kind of feel like, felt incredibly lonely. And, and so um, literally, I, I, didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. And so I went up and signed all the paperwork and did everything. And about a week after they had cremated my dad, or I guess they had cremated my dad, I'd, 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 never been, I'd never done a cremation thing. I didn't know what that was. And so I called the funeral home, and I said, um, hey, I would love to, uh, I, w- I would, like, is my dad ready? And they're like, yeah, we got him. I was like, can I, I guess I just come pick him up. They're like, yeah, come on. It's like, all right, I'll be up there at lunch. And so I'm on the way to the funeral home. And I know this is awkward, but stay with me. It's my dad, so I can tell the story. Don't get offended, all right? So I'm on my way to the funeral home to pick up my dad. And I'm like, I don't even know what this looks like because this is, this is weird. And so I walk in to, to the funeral home, and I'm kind of walking around. And I walk by this, there was a really, there was a bag. There was a big paper bag on a desk. Um, and it was like a paper bag from a really nice to-go restaurant, you, or, like a restaurant. It wasn't like a ghetto plastic bag, like, like your nachos fall through. It was like, a, it was legit. It's like Ruth Chris, all right? So, so it was really nice. And I walked by, and I literally had this thought as I walked by the bag. Huh, it's probably my dad. And I kept going. And I, I, I walked around. I'm coming back in there, and I come back around. I didn't see anybody. And finally, the guy that directs the funeral home, he came around. And he was like, hey, and I was like, my name's Perry. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry about your loss. And I always tell people, people always say that, I'm sorry about your loss. And I always go, I always go that's all right. You didn't do it. Um, because it's, it's just, it it's kind of lightens the humor, all right? And, and, and so, so I'm like, man, that's all right. You didn't do it. And he looked at me weird. And I was like, okay, you know. And so we talked for a few minutes, and I said, um, so you got my dad? And he just looked at the bag. 
And I went, that's my, that dad's in the bag. Wow, he lost some weight. And so anyway, I picked up, I picked up the bag and it was awkward. It was so awkward. And I walked out to my car and, and, and I sat down in, in my car and I'm like, this is weird. And I took the bag and I, I put the bag over on the floor and I was literally sitting there. I was like, all right, I can't put my dad in the floor. So I reached in the bag and it was, a, it was in a little black box about this big like this. I take the black box and I put it in the seat next to me. And I'm like, I guess I, and I buckled him, you know, buckle him in, you know, because yeah, I don't know. Can you, I don't know if you can get arrested for that or whatever. And so <laughs> I was driving I was driving, on, hey, my mom's buried in a, in a cemetery between Easley and Pickens, and that means so much to everyone here. Um, but it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little community. And so anyway, I'm driving up there, and I'm like, okay, God, you're going to have to speak to me because this is weird. I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing right now, and I've never done this before. And it's, normally there's a body, and people, you know, we talk about, you know, Fred. You know, anyway, so I, it's just weird. And so I'm driving, and I pull up to the, um, the grave side, you know, and I'm sitting there and I reach over and I get the black box and I'm walking down to the grave and I've got the black box where my dad's remains are. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, I hope this thing's easy to open because I didn't like pull it open and dad goes all over me. And then I got, that's weird. And you got to take a shower and then you're washing your dad down the drain. So I didn't want to do any of that. And so I literally, I, I, I took this black box and I got down on one knee and beside my mom's grave and I cleaned off her so I sat there, I was like, okay, God, I don't, I don't know what to do, and I just really need to talk to me right now. And I, I literally, I looked down to open the box that my dad was in to pour his ashes out on the grave, and on the top of the box were the words, temporary container. And God spoke to me, as clear as I'm speaking to you right now, and he said, that's what you are, Perry. You are a temporary Container, you're a to-go order, bro. And two thoughts popped in my mind at that moment. Two thoughts, and it was clear as day. Number one, life is a gift. Life really is a gift. Listen, if your life sucks today, I'm really sorry. You probably had something to do with it. But life really is a gift. And number two, Eternity is reality. We all check out of Motel Earth one day. Life is a gift. Eternity is reality. The only thing that makes those things come together and makes them better is Jesus Christ. Our people coming into our churches, they, they don't need more rules. They don't need religion. They need Jesus. Because if they see Jesus Clearly, then they begin to live the life that he intended for them to live. And when they step into eternity, they will live forever in his presence. At the end of the day, I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do church. I don't care what you dress like. I don't care what your doctrinal ministry statement is. My question is, can people walk in the doors and see Jesus because he always changes the game for people? We're different. We're different. Let's celebrate that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, let's beg God that people could just see Jesus clearly. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that every one of these leaders are here. God, I thank you that we are hungry for your word. We're hungry for your presence. And Father, my prayer today is very simply that you would help us all to leave with just one thing. Just one thing, God. 
that we can take back to our lives and our churches. And God, because of that, you will be exalted. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.